0: Hi everybody, welcome along to this, the Friday freebie episode of the Dispatches podcast. It is great to be back with you again. And today you're in for a real special treat because in this episode, we are launching the inaugural debut episode of our brand new monthly show called Dispatches with Diwa. And it's called Dispatches with Diwa because once a month, we are going to be having an in-depth conversation with Diwa DeBoer. And we're going to be talking about New Zealand and overseas politics. So if it's trending, we're going to be talking about it. Even more than that, Diwa is doing the hard yards of tracking the current New Zealand government. He has established something called his coalition tracking tool. He is tuning into Parliament. He is watching the policy updates and the progress of various policies to see whether or not the coalition government in New Zealand is really delivering on its promises as it has claimed it will do. Is this government all talk or are they actually going to deliver? Because I think that's what most New Zealanders are looking for. So we're going to be updating that every single month, tracking exactly where the coalition is at. So if you want to know exactly what's going on without any of the spin and you want to get your handle on whether or not the government is delivering on various promises, this is definitely the podcast that you are going to want to tune into once a month. Every single month there will be a part one and a part two to dispatches with DEWA. So part one will be published as our Friday freebie, free to air, Anyone can tune in. Part two of Dispatches with Diwa once a month will happen on a Monday and it will be an exclusive patrons only episode. So if you don't want to miss a beat and you want to hear everything that we discuss, hear all of the topics that we talk about, then make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash left media. The link is in today's show notes and become a $5 monthly patron. That's less than the cost of a cup of coffee, and for that unbelievably cheap amount, you will be able to track this coalition month by month and see exactly what is happening, what's being delivered upon, and what is not. Plus, you get access to all of the other awesome daily podcast episodes. That's right, they're daily now, exclusively available to our patrons only. So, without any further ado, let's start this brand new series, Dispatches with Diva. Hi, my name is Brendan Malone and you're listening to The Dispatches, the podcast that strives to cut through all the noise in order to challenge the popular narratives of the day with some good old-fashioned contrarian thinking. You might not always agree, but at least you'll be taking a deeper look at the world around you. Welcome to Dispatches with Diwa, the monthly episode of the Dispatches podcast where we talk with political commentator Diwa Deboer about exactly what is going on in the world of New Zealand politics and we discuss and dissect everything that's trending globally as well. Diwa Deboer is a political commentator who runs conservative think tank Right Minds New Zealand. He also writes a column for the BFD and he has a Friday morning radio show on Reality Check Radio. He advocates for a return to tradition, is optimistic about the future, and he lives in Auckland with his wife and their three kids. So without any further ado, let's get into this episode of Dispatches with Diwa. Alrighty, Diwa, uh, it's great to be here with you. The inaugural debut episode of Dispatches with Diwa. Once a month we are going to dissect all things political and, uh, yeah, I guess we're going to solve the problems of the world like all good men should try and do. Uh, Diwa, people are going to ask me, um, what is the uh, the ethnic, the racial the national background of that name. Tell us a bit about your background, man.
1: Hey, thank you for uh, having me on your show. I'm a big fan. I've uh, been, a, been a fan of Brendan Malone and Left Foot Media for a long time. Um, <laughs> oh, you too kind, My mum even comes back from conferences sometimes and she says, oh, I, l- I heard this guy had the speaker, Brendan Malone. He was so great.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, mate, now you're behind the curtain and, and the Wizard of Oz is just an old man pulling a few levers. <laughs>
1: yeah, so the the name itself comes from frisia which Mm -hmm. is a province in the north of the netherlands so my uh, father's side of the family like my grandfather uh, who actually passed away in december uh, was frisian full full full-blooded frisian and their name comes from from that area because the dutch have a, a tradition of giving you different types of names so you have a like a legal name and a christian name so Uh a legal name is is dirk which is too boring for my (laughs) mother so (laughs) she came she brought in this Frisian name which was diwa yeah and similar sort of meaning Uh, and the Frisians are actually an ethnic minority in the netherlands um the the population is split between um the netherlands and germany yeah. But they have their own province, they have their own language, and actually uh, they're the ones that invaded and colonised England many, 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 oh, many so, centuries so you, you, ago. So that
0: means you're an uber-coloniser, you are an uber colonizer uh, no, you colonise, the exactly. colonisers.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so that's where the, the Saxons came through from, from Germany, Frisia, and, and into England. Wow. So, yeah, the root of the language is actually the same. It's Anglo-Frisian root, root yeah. language. So Old Frisian and Old English are almost the same. But then you get to Modern Frisian and Modern English, and a name like viewer is suddenly uh, no longer compatible with English.
0: Oh, classic, man. What does it mean? Uh, man of the people.
1: Ah, well, appropriately named. (laughs) (laughs) I I know it's. I've become a true believer in in the in the power of names now.
0: Because you had a tilt at the New Conservative um, Party and the movement Um, before we even talk about politics in New Zealand, which we're about to do in just a second. Would you? How would you describe that experience? And did that give you any insights or change your views in any way about all of that?
1: I've been involved, or I, I should say, I was involved uh, for two election cycles in in politics there. Before that, I looked at running for local elections, uh, mm. which I I never actually did, um, but I got fairly close. Um, I was a bit more libertarian in my in my late teens, early twenties, <laughs> yep. uh, and anyway, didn't end up going through with that. But I did get into into politics uh, at the New Conservatives it didn't really change my views of, of politics in the sense that I'd, I'd been involved around the edges since I was a teenager. My father at the time was quite involved in politics in the ACT Party uh, when it was Rodney Hyde. Uh, and just like Rodney Hyde now, uh, Rodney Hyde hates the ACT Party. My father hates the ACT Party. I hate the ACT Party. Uh, so things th- those things have changed. Uh, but I think the hard thing that I found with the New Conservatives is that to get the kind of interest from people, to, to have it work out, to get the, the money, the, the big names, like to make it all come together is insanely difficult. Uh, and, and the kinds of people you attract in politics are usually not, especially at, at the lower level, and not the kinds of people who make great uh, politicians. I, I don't yeah. know how to, I don't want to say, it, like, I was, there were great people there. Great, wonderful people. Nothing yeah. bad to say about any of them. Even the ones who I fell out with and had political problems with, still great people. Yeah. Um, but just, just yeah, really, really hard to get something off the ground and to get interest. And, uh, yeah, the people, the voters are very much satisfied with uh, the status quo or low-risk things, or if they feel like they're winning, like, okay, well, I'm going to vote for the party that's going to get in because then I feel like a winner. Yeah. And it's just really, really hard to overcome that uh, yeah. in, in New Zealand's political system. So yeah, that's that was a, my biggest takeaway.
0: That's a great insight, actually, isn't it? And um, I think you're right. I think probably the new conservatives had one big opportunity in front of them, and it was when Colin Craig was involved. But I think what the opportunity was, or should have been, was he? I think he should have remained the money man in the background, and if they'd invested at that point in some really strong, charismatic leadership, then maybe that would have been their chance. I think.
1: Yeah, the structure is is difficult because for what you describe there is exactly what you need and it mm. seems to be the one thing that New Zealand politics uh, <laughs> doesn't get <laughs> um, and I've spoken I wasn't involved uh, in those times with Colin Craig but uh, people have said who were who were uh, trying to get political people who were, yeah. who were not necessarily conservative but just purely political people who talked to him basically said when well, you know, we offered him The way to win in politics and he wasn't interested he wanted to do his own thing because he was the money man and it's really been uh yeah but he did get you know he he did get fairly close for for what he did um but it, it, it nothing has happened since then basically it's been uh a slow almost downhill journey up and downs a little bit uh the fortunes of the new conservatives ended up being tied to the fortunes of winston peters so yeah. Winston, people hated on Winston Peters one year, you'd get lucky and get some more support. And then the next year, people would go back to loving Winston Peters and then you'd lose support. That was kind of the up and down.
0: I remember actually going to an event where Winston Peters spoke and Colin Craig spoke and it was clear Peters knew that his target audience was the same people who were going to vote for New Conservative. And so he spent most of the time, he was interviewed about political matters Talking about how he could deliver, whether the whereas the new conservatives couldn't deliver, it was very interesting. He was astute enough to see that and understand that. And and I've long believed that it's really only once Winston Peters retires or passes on that there will actually be a genuine gap in the political landscape for a, a new minor conservative party. I think
1: I don't think you're wrong. Uh, I, I definitely definitely am in agreement with you there. I don't i don't um you know, want a conservative movement to go away or to fail in any way i want them to succeed but like you i don't see uh, a clear path forward so that's one of the reasons why i've stepped away and decided to focus on other things um, still full support for the people involved um, but i think at some point you have to accept that you're not making a difference and that, then it becomes really hard to continue
0: yeah that's, uh, again, a very astute and prudent insight. And I guess the challenge for guys like us is what do we do outside of the political house to make a difference then and try and shift the dial? So that's the million-dollar question. Uh, let's talk now about something you're doing. And when I saw that you tweeted about this, I thought, man, this is, this is excellent. We've got to actually follow what you're doing here. You've got this coalition tracker, and you're tracking the coalition to see the new government it sounds a bit dodgy. He's not stalking them, folks. It's nothing like that. It's it's legitimately assessing their performance and the promises they've made, are they actually delivering? And what usually happens, of course, in the political cycle is we get to the end of the three years and we discover then whether they've delivered or not. Whereas what uh, Diwa is doing here is he's tracking this it's almost week by week, isn't it? You're tracking what's going on in the house, what their policy positions are, where things are coming into play, whether, you know what's happening in the house and all that kind of stuff. So before we get into what the tracker actually does, what motivated you to do this?
1: I decided that I didn't want to be involved in politics anymore. I made a post saying I'm taking a break from politics. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, what am I going to do now? <laughs> uh, and I wanted to do a little bit of, Uh, programming over the summer some hobby programming Uh, I'm a programmer by trade it's what I do for a living but I enjoy doing it as a hobby as well because sometimes you want to learn some new skills try out some new technology and um, I've actually got a different programming project in, in process and have for many years, which is a metrical Psalter app uh, for, for the Presbyterians. Awesome. And, uh, but it was quite a, a bit more of a complex project. And so I wanted to start with something fresh. Uh, ChatGPT had just been uh, really big last year. So I wanted to really push ChatGPT to its limits as well. And so I got started on on this tracker because the coalition parties had actually released documents, like line items yeah. of, of item like pages and pages and pages of promises. And the previous government didn't do that at all. And like you've said, very rare to get all of these documents out in public to get 100% transparency on what the government is claiming to deliver. So I had the data set to be a, you know, a, a metric to be able to do this and uh, had the technology to be able to do it. <laughs> so put a spreadsheet, we basically put a spreadsheet as, things happen during the week because I'm following politics anyway. I can't, I'd love following politics. I I hate, I hate loving following politics.
0: Mate, praise God for train spotters like you, brother. That's what I'll say.
1: (laughs) And so as soon as I see something is posted on Twitter uh, that, you know, they delivered on on a promise. And so, and the parties themselves are very good at telling you, hey, we've delivered on a promise. Mm. So I just punch that into the spreadsheet, uh, update the line items on, on, you know, how any progress they've made, if they've completed it, basically got three states uh, not started in progress and delivered. And then there's also a fourth failed option, which,
0: yeah. yeah. So that would be what a bill that they tried to pass, but didn't go anywhere.
1: Yeah. If, if they somehow, well, I, I won't be entirely unbiased. I, I'll take my own biases in a little way, but I'm somebody who wants them to succeed, but I don't have, uh, you know, I'm not, actually currently involved in either of these three parties so if they if i think they failed something i will basically say they failed and here's my reference here's my notes as to saying why i believe they failed this particular item um i don't know how they will handle that internally if they fail because obviously they've made these promises to each other so yeah. that, that could get very interesting
0: yeah that that's a whole big question White, you've got this marriage of uh, well, of convenience, political convenience, like every political marriage is, um, and what happens when, you know, the vows are broken because it's not just two parties either, it's three, and um, it seems to me there are some complex moving parts policy-wise in this coalition, right?
1: Absolutely some complicated items. Uh, I was surprised by the number of items that overlapped, so there's quite a few promises that that are identical in both documents between New Zealand First and National and between ACT and National and they've roughly both promised also to support each other's documents so one of the promises is basically we will also support all of the promises that are in the other agreement wow. so, so they the, the negotiations behind this are solid I, I remember during the negotiations the media was going all out at Christopher Luxon on, on, <laughs> the, on I don't know how whatever they were making up I don't remember anymore People don't remember the details, but they were making up all kinds of stories about how terrible the negotiations were going to be, how long it was taking, how they yeah. weren't making any progress. Uh, I'm looking at this at this document, putting it all into a spreadsheet, going through it uh, sentence by sentence and finding and you know, all the little details. And I'm thinking this is amazing work. They really, really put a lot of work into it.
0: Yeah, and that, that's, uh, that's always a good sign. So just one other thing before we jump into the tracker and we start actually examining where things are at. When you update, what does that entail? You are assessing uh, new announcements, press releases, progressive bills, stuff like that?
1: Exactly. That's basically exactly what I'm assessing. A lot of the updates, the information that I collect will basically come through Twitter. Like Twitter is just really good for aggregating everything that's happening on any particular subject. If you're following the right people, You'll, you'll get that information. And I will source uh, references if things that are completed, whether it's mainstream media articles, whether it's press releases, whether it's tweets even, I'll yeah. just reference those so that people can actually go and check, okay, viewer thinks it's finished, why does he think it's finished, so they can go through and, and follow those claims.
0: Yeah. Do you do you have a tolerance, uh, like as in uh, you know, typical polit- politicians type, uh, rhetoric and approach is to say, yeah, we're getting to that. We're getting to that. We'll, we will deliver. It's coming. You know, Christmas yeah. is coming, but it never arrives. There's no presents under the tree. What's your tolerance before you say, nah, this is, they're just mucking us around here?
1: So I was wondering how I'd handle that. And I thought <laughs> I will cross that bridge when I get to it. So <laughs> the first thing that came up was the 100-day plan. So they did the policy agreements and then they came out with a 100-day plan. There were about 50, 60 items in the 100-day plan. Um, in fact, I could probably, yeah, I think it was, if I yeah, I think about, about 50 or so items in, in that plan. And then I could say, cool, they've said they're going to deliver these things in the next 100 days. I can say that they're all in progress, you know, 10% in progress. They've, they've begun. They've announced that they're going to happen in the next 100 days. And if they don't get, deliver them in, in 100 days, well, then I'll mark them as failed and say, well, you said you were going to deliver this in 100 days and you didn't. Uh, and maybe they'll come back later and deliver on it, and then I can always bring it back and say, okay, it, you know, they didn't get it in 100 days, but they did it in 200 days, and they still did it in the end. So well, there's, so there's
0: there's no there's no NCA, marking in this. Uh, exam. No, no, I'm,
1: I'm <laughs> not going to do that. I'm going to be nice and harsh. Uh, if they say it's coming, then I'm going to hold them to their own deadlines. Yeah,
0: and, and and to be if, fair, if they do deliver later, um, then that's still a positive. They have delivered. Um, but yeah, you don't want to see a party that's constantly overly ambitious and overpromising, right? Because that speaks to a certain ineptitude as well.
1: Correct. Correct. And with the last government, it was a lot of announcements, announcements about announcements. Yeah. Sometimes I see that with items in the track already. They'll say mm-hmm. we we've, you know, we're making an announcement that we're going to do this thing, and. I'll often just ignore that and say, okay, they've just announced it. Unless they've given a deadline on it, I'm not going to say that that, that, that that it's in progress. I'm going to actually wait for something concrete.
0: All righty. So that's the tracker, folks. You know how it works. You know the history and you know why. So we've also got a special tracker theme song. So each episode you'll hear this little sting, this musical sting, and that uh, tells you that we are about to start tracking the progress of the New Zealand coalition government. So without any further ado, let's introduce the theme song and start talking about where things are at. Okay, so Diwa, we've just heard there that uh, whenever I hear your voice, it's a whole lot of blah, blah, blah. So is it a whole lot of blah, blah, blah at the moment? Where are are they at right now? How are the coalition government in New Zealand tracking, in your estimation, right now?
1: Since this is the first update, I'm basically going to have to start from the beginning. I guess I can't say, oh, we've delivered a few new items this month. Uh, We're counting February, we're counting January, we're counting December from last year. And I've got uh, in my coalition tracker, which doesn't have a nice URL at the moment, sorry. You can probably Google NZ Coalition Tracker and find it, but it's uh, duerdabor.github.io slash coalition-tracker-nz. Send
0: me nice, the link and I'll nice put it and in and the difficult. show notes so people can click straight on it. <laughs> and I'm going to buy a like Coalition
1: Tracker domain to make it nice and easy in the future. But I've got uh, out of the 230 specific items that I've put in at the moment. So I, I've narrowed down a number of uh, duplicates. I've added in some stuff that they've uh, that nas- the, the National Party has promised specifically as well. So it's not just the two acts uh, and, and New Zealand First agreements. It's also stuff the National Party has specifically promised, but 230 items. Of those, they've actually finished 18 of them. So that's about 8% of their promises they've delivered on. And the in progress Uh, items is currently at 35 and those 35 items are mostly 100 day plan items so uh, if they don't deliver on most of those 35 items in the next i don't know how many days they've got left uh, in their 100 days can't be long it's not very long Uh, i'm probably Going to double check whether they are going to count a hundred parliamentary days. You know, you can look at the fine print and say, yeah. "Oh, we actually meant a hundred days of parliament." So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. I'll I'll see how we go. The
0: politicians, mate, there'll always be a twist in the tail. Uh, uh,
1: exactly, and sometimes you can see the wording on these items as well. Like I've ca- I've carefully pasted in the exact wording because yeah. you know we'll we'll just we'll just hold them to their words, and yeah. people may may read things into that that aren't there. Uh, The one that was completed just this week, the big one, was the repeal of free waters. Uh, That was actually not something that was in the New Zealand First and Act Agreements or something that the National Party put specifically in their 100-day plan. The Act Party had only asked for them to just stop funding it on day one.
0: Can I say on that point, that particular issue, I I actually had um, doubts about whether they would um, go through with that, the national government, but they have.
1: And being in this coalition with ACT and New Zealand First made them go through it. So one of the I- other items, one of these other 18 items, also relates to Three Waters, which is a stop work, issue a stop work notice on three items, which the ACT party had wanted. Yeah, and okay. for instance, they finished that in the first week. Basically, they issued a stop work notice. And that really was the death of Three Waters until it was properly repealed. Um, so all of these things you can find in the tracker. Um, I, you know, I tell you which party asked for it and, uh, you know sometimes i'll include information about lobby groups as well that are supporting those particular policies or trying to fight against those policies
0: what what that means then is we've got a whole lot of stuff still sitting there that what is in progress or uh, there's no failures yet
1: no failures just things that haven't been started so i'm currently tracking 177 items yeah. that have not been started that have not had any mention that i've been able to find uh, of 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 progress being made or being completed.
0: So. Do you do you expect that they will add more items? Uh, I mean, let, let's say there's not some earthquake or some emergency that requires that kind of thing. Uh, let's say it's just business as usual. Do you expect more will be added or do you think this is so close I'm, to it?
1: I'm keeping myself to the things that they've promised at the beginning. So I'm not going to track everything that they do. Yep. That would be too much. If somebody else wants to do that, that's fine. We're sticking with what yep. they promised at the outset. And there are some items that they have promised at the outset that I haven't included here. So the National Party had a 100-point economic plan somewhere. I just haven't had the time to go and get every single item and put that in there and cross-reference it against items in the agreements and so on. So uh, there will be some more items added, but it's only stuff that I just... Haven't got round to loading yeah, in sure. that, are, that are specifically from the ACT party, sorry, specifically from the National Party. But everything that they've agreed with New Zealand First and with ACT, everything the coalition partners have agreed on together is in there.
0: So what we're going to do folks is we are going to over the coming months every single month, we're going to have uh, dispatches with Diva and we're just going to talk about where things are at. We're going to talk about any glaring um, uh, policy points that really stick out that have you know whether things have failed or they're succeeding or maybe some surprises along the way. and we'll give you a sense of where things are at, how successful uh, is this government actually at delivery? Uh, to be fair, Diwa, well, I don't think you have to be uh, too spectacular at this to improve on what we had in the previous regime.
1: No. I, in fact, they have already improved on the previous regime <laughs> because the previous regime promised nothing and delivered even less. Because every time you talk, it
0: Alrighty, so that was the political tracker, uh, complete with a nice little uh, jab at the end there from Diwa. Um, let's talk about some issues, Diwa. Uh, Waitangi Day 2024. Um, how do you think the government acquitted itself regarding Waitangi this year? Because this was probably an absolute baptism of fire almost straight out of the gate, and they are thrown into the racial cauldron. And man, uh, the media and and commentary space was intense, but how do you think they acquitted themselves?
1: I think they did a really great job of it. Uh, In fact, I would even say that there wasn't much to it for them. All they had to do was show up, don't get any embarrassing stories in the the news, make some generic speeches, and get home without things (laughs) being thrown at you. Yeah, yeah and that's what they did uh all of them managed it uh david seymour christopher luxon winston peters they all managed that and um they had uh a generic like very generic speech from christopher luxon and the media pounced on him for (laughs) making a repetition of his previous speech from last year uh, I had a little joke on that. I said the repetition will continue until the lessons are learned. <laughs> um, so I hope he keeps doing that. Uh, I think uh, it'll be funny. Brilliant. Nothing wrong with his his generic message. Well, I say nothing wrong. Lots wrong with his generic message, but nothing wrong for him for for his generic message.
0: Uh, yeah, people often forget that, don't they? It's um, it is very. You're right. Politically safe, especially at the moment when your opponents are um, they are kicking up merry hell. And I have to say, as someone who Um, like I'm authentically conservative and in the mold of Edmund Burke and one of Edmund Burke's greatest, uh, probably the five key moments of his life, the things he dedicated himself to was fighting against the unjust behaviors of like the East India company and, and, and some of the colonies. And he, in fact, he said people remember him for the French revolution and stuff like that. But he said that he considered that to be his greatest work, his attempt to basically impeach the governor general, and um and so I I have I'm someone who says look an authentically conservative position is one which has respect for traditions and for custom and culture and there is a relationship here that must be uh, civil and maintained and we're not some liberal bland amorphous just blob we call New Zealanders you know there's more to it however what I saw from the other side leading into Waitangi for me it was just like Do they not understand how this is not rhetoric that plays well to ordinary New Zealanders? In fact, it's quite alarming at times. The revolutionary set love it, but ordinary New Zealanders surely must have, a lot of them must have had the jitters. And that that new poll out a couple of days ago would seem to reflect that, right?
1: The kind of uh, almost savage behavior that you get does not really bode well for any kind of popular appeal for the grievances that they're trying to put forward against the government. And I do think that's a little bit sad because they could have a, a, a rich tradition that's well respected by everyone in the country that people look up to. Uh, in fact, it could be in the sense like the English royalty. You know, They have all of their, their pageantry and all of their displays of tradition that go back hundreds of years. And uh, people look at it with a sense of awe yeah, And you know, they they could really have that at Waitangi, and they choose to give it up for uh, just generic left-wing politics.
0: Seymour's Treaty Principles Bill, uh, what is it? And what's up with Luxon flip-flopping and now seemingly refusing support? And gosh, um, it seems maybe in the last couple of days or so, that looks like it was a huge mistake on his part. But what's the bill? Explain it for those who maybe have heard nothing about it other than the um, mainstream media narrative. And uh, what do you think about Luxon's flip-flop?
1: The bill that's put forward by David Seymour is actually very straightforward. Uh, he's put forward the idea that the treaty principles will be recognised as, per a few quotes, very selective from the three articles of the treaty, effectively, that the New Zealand government has the right to govern all of New Zealand. That's his principle number one. And then principle number two is that all New Zealanders will be protected in the chieftainship of their lands. And then principle number three is that all New Zealanders will have the same rights and privileges as other New Zealanders. And this is a very selective trimming down of the Treaty of Waitangi. But what makes this very different and what makes it uh, reactionary compared to the revolutionary treaty principles that are currently used by uh, the courts and their are referenced in legislation is that these revolutionary principles used by the left uh, have no basis in the treaty itself. They don't try to quote any text of the treaty. They don't try to harmonize uh, themselves with the treaty in any way. Whereas David Seymour has put quite a bit of effort into uh, trying to harmonize his principles with the actual text of the treaty while leaving out the bits in the treaty that uh, are not fully compatible with uh, his uh, form of liberalism uh, so for instance references to the sub tribes references to the chiefs references to maori specifically he hasn't included in his in his uh, principles so that's what has made it contentious with the uh, left and with Maori specifically as well, like even the the right wing ones may be less happy with uh, his exclusion of that. And obviously that comes from his comes from his uh, his liberalism. Everybody's the same. We can't have any any. Uh, we can't recognise different people as not being individuals.
0: Now is he playing a long game here though? Because there is a traditional political strategy, and I've seen him use it previously. And what you do is you put out a more um, intense version of your bill. Some might say extreme. And then what you do is you actually go back to the ground, the territory where you knew you would win on, and you make it look like you've compromised and you make your opponents feel like they've won something when in actual fact you're the one who's gained. So is he about to negotiate some of this stuff back into it, do you think?
1: I'm not sure if that's what he's doing here, though. I think while he is good at doing that, Uh, as far as I can tell, he is going to force this through. This is a a winning issue for him in its current form, and I think he does have uh, some... Uh, aces up his sleeve to really make it a a winning situation for him, where he doesn't have to compromise.
0: So Luxon's flip flop, then, is that going to be a double flip flop where he ends up having to backtrack on this because public support might actually swing in behind Seymour?
1: Yeah, this is a bad spot for Luxon. Uh, he's he doesn't have a win situation that I can think of. So I'm I'm not sure what Luxon's strategy is. He's not silly he's not stupid he knows what he's doing as well uh luxon's team is as far as i can tell very clever but i think they realize that they they're between a rock and a hard place yeah Um, because seymour has uh, at least three if not four different paths to victory and the national party has a problem where probably most of their supporters want it but the more elite members of the national party are very much opposed to it so they have a, this is part of their internal power struggle. The National Party has two factions, a, a liberal and a more conservative wing, and they're in constant conflict where the base is, tends to be more conservative and the people who run the show tend to be more liberal. Um, Luxon's trying to navigate that. I think less so than him trying to navigate what David Seymour wants, he's actually trying to navigate the internal conflict within his own party.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting, won't it? Because in a sense, the best thing that could probably happen now would be another poll to show that um, there is big public support for this kind of change, because then he can at least say, well, um, I'm a man of the people and I I go with what the polis wants. And uh, basically, in a sense, probably the flip flop would be forgotten and forgiven by most. And at the same time, he can also play off against the more liberal base by saying, well, look, you know, we tried to do this, but the people wanted it. You know, that kind of a good cop, bad cop thing.
1: Yeah, it's a political speak as well that he's using. So when he says, "No, we've promised to support it to the first reading," that is what they've promised. That's in the coalition tracker. Yeah. As soon as as soon as Luxon supports this to the first reading, it goes green in the coalition tracker. Um, his promise is not to get it passed into law. So when he's talking to the media as well and saying, "No, we don't support this," they haven't promised to to support it. But anything can happen at a at a second reading, even. Luxon could vote against it, but other national MPs could vote for it. You really don't know what's going to happen. Um, and even then, the bill itself is not David Seymour's victory condition, I think. Uh, he's got some bigger plans up his sleeve.
0: I was going to ask you then, and I think the the poll that we've seen in the last couple of days might have changed this a little bit, showing a big increase in support over time for ACT uh, massive drop off for the Greens hardly surprising um, yes. and uh, yeah really um, in theory if the activists and the revolutionaries were correct it should have been the other way around but it hasn't been that way Um And so I was going to ask you, do you think Seymour is about to discover the brutal reality of failing to be able to deliver on promises? And the reason I ask that is because this is something he's never been tested on previously because he's been in opposition. He's been able to snipe away from opposition positions at the edges and you never have to deliver. All you have to do is point out what's wrong with your opponent's position, but you never have to even provide or prove that your alternative would even work. But now he's in that position where people are going to expect delivery. Uh, is the brutal reality of that going to hit, or do you think somehow he's got himself out of jail here a little bit?
1: A few months ago, I would have told you that he got shortchanged, that he got outmaneuvered in the coalition negotiations, and that the uh, people who poured millions of dollars into the ACT Party got ripped off. Yeah, that's what I would have said. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that was my position in in December, uh, but then uh, through my contacts and and in the political sphere, I found out that this was basically a bottom line for both of them so they for the coalition to go ahead the act party had to get a bill into parliament and basically the national party had to not commit to supporting it the whole way through so that's why they got their first reading compromise so just in case there are people listening to your to the show who haven't you know who aren't that politically savvy every bill goes through three readings first Mm -hmm. reading second reading third reading unless they're doing it under urgency. And so it only has to go into the first reading. Then I found out later, behind the scenes, basically, after they while they were negotiating with the National Party, inside the ACT Party, they said, okay, well, where do we go to from here? What are our contingencies? How do we still deliver for voters? So they were really thinking about that. They were thinking, how do we actually deliver for voters? We could just say first reading, walk away, and say, oh, well, we tried. But no, they got behind the scenes, I've heard, rumors. Do you know, this is all just rumors. But there <laughs> yeah. are millions, millions of dollars has have been pledged in support of uh, either supporting the, the campaign for the bill itself or supporting alternate measures. So you can take a citizens-initiated referendum. As you know, if you get the signatures of 5% of the voting, uh, I think it's 10%, 10% of the voting population, sign a petition, then you can force a referendum to be held on that issue at the next election. Yeah. So... And that takes millions of dollars. So basically they've got that pledged behind the scenes that they will be able to get that referendum and they're easily going to get 10% signatures. Easily. Yeah. Right. And that's the ace, right? That's the ace up his, up, up, up his sleeve. right? Either uh, the bill gets passed through parliament and there's a referendum or they go through the, 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 the massive effort to get a citizens initiate a referendum, which seems almost guaranteed to me. Yeah. And or like even if that fails, they can still make it an election issue. You can... The polls from this week have proved it. It's yeah. going to be an election issue. In fact, it is the number one election issue, on par with I think the health, uh, uh, ministry of health, and whatever the the g- general category that they use for public health measuring and polling. Uh, that is the number one issue and has been for a long time alongside now the treaty, uh, the treaty principles.
0: So So, it's a very
1: successful move from the ACT party.
0: Clearly the horses are spooked here as well, then that there's enough of the public. um, And it's interesting talking to people I know who I would, they're definitely not ACT voters. They are people who um, have very much been what I would call very culturally sensitive people. And, you know, they're not wandering around, uh, complaining about um or anything like that. In fact, some of them I know have learnt today But even people like that are, have been saying to me over the last six months or so that they are concerned about this identity question and how we identify ourselves, how we are as a people, what it means to be one people, basically. So, uh, yeah, the horses, it seems, have been spooked, right, at the electorate level.
1: National identity is becoming more important uh, among people globally and... Uh, that is factoring in here, obviously, uh, to a very large degree. Uh, it's also the dominant ideology of liberalism that factors into this, because uh, people kind of struggle more so with the idea of people acting in ethnic interests, and yeah. that's seen as being very dangerous. So I disagree quite a bit on that subject, but I understand why it's become such a, such a big issue, because of those two things coming together. Uh, uh, who are we as a people, who are we as a nation, and then also concerns around ethnic conflict.
0: Yeah, yeah it's interesting, isn't it, that whole liberal notion of we'll all just be um, servile economic units in the, uh, the melting pot and yeah, and no one zone. should step outside of that, you know, and, and that's really breaking down. And uh, the pot has well and truly been tipped over, that's sure, globally. And I think it's just a matter of time before us as well. Does Seymour, though, have the necessary charm to win the public all the way through, or what needs to happen here?
1: Uh, unfortunately, he's done it before with yeah. the uh, euthanasia referendum. <laughs> so... I'm going to say yes to that because he has he has proved that he could take the ACT Party from nothing to uh, a big force in politics. Yeah. He has, uh, you know, he he got the uh, euthanasia bill and the referendum across the line. So I don't think there's any doubt around his ability to do this. About his charisma.
0: So. Uh, negatively, the risks here, I guess, is what we're asking about. Um, could this negatively affect Seymour's support or is Luxon really the one who's um, walking the tightrope here?
1: It's basically a win-win-win-win situation <laughs> for Seymour at this point. Yeah. At this point, there's obviously, you've got to be a little bit careful to say you can take it to the bank because uh, anything can happen. Yeah. But currently, he's holding all the cards. And, yeah, for Luxon, it's difficult. Very, very difficult. He, he could get into... Uh, a bit of trouble over this. And I was just thinking a big part of the Nationals, national party's opposition is the referendum on this. They think the mm. referendum will be too divisive. Your only other alternative is then just have parliament pass it and say, well, no referendum, we'll just do it. But that also creates problems, especially if it's seen as being a constitutional change. Yeah. If it's seen as uh, making definitive statements on what is our founding document, really, that is is a constitutional change. So <laughs> they, can't, they can't get rid of yeah, it. He, he does not have an easy way out. He really does not have an easy way out.
0: Well, barring some miracle where suddenly he discovered some hidden inner statesman and, uh, I don't know, he reappeared at Waitangi next week and then came off the Marae and announced that he'd got all the chiefs on side and that they were going to... Uh, enact this new principles bill, then I, yeah, you know what I mean? Like where he had that total buy-in and consensus from the majority. Uh, Then you're right. I I can't see how um, this plays well. Um, One last question on this before we wrap up this episode. And don't forget folks, this is a two-parter. So uh, part one, this is the Friday freebie you're listening to. If you want the second part, Become a patron at patreon.com forward slash Left Media with $5 or more per month, and that will give you access to the full conversation uh, because we've got a few other interesting issues to talk about. But uh, the end of part one, let me ask you this question. Do you think, as some in the media are claiming, that basically this period over Waitangi has made the government look weak and inept, uh, or are they really just signalling the fact that Luxon has put himself in a bit of bother here by not being strong enough? What do you think?
1: Definitely a tough spot for Luxon, but again, I don't think that reflects on the government itself, or you know whether they're looking weak or inept. Uh, I did complain in a in a column last week for the BFD. I basically wrote that you know they need to get moving. That they're behind. They they started off too slow. Yeah. Uh, the media and uh, the uh, forces on the left wing of New Zealand. The radicals have, have moved into position. They've taken two months to start making their case, to start creating all kinds of problems, to generate a narrative. And the government is really on the back foot when it comes to controlling the narrative. But when you look at the polling, the that tells you a very different story. So the I think if, if anything, the government isn't taking the fact that it's in a war with the media seriously enough, Yeah. Um, at least Luxon isn't, and yeah, I, I still think his biggest problem is internal, internal to the National Party. Those are his really big problems, and um, yeah, whether or not that will end up undermining the government remains to be seen.
0: It, it also seems to me too, based on we've had another leak in the last twenty-four hours, that seems that they clearly are at war with a stacked public service. It seems. As well, and it's, it's I feel like someone's got to come out and start I don't know chopping heads and throwing them off the uh the city walls or something so they get the message yeah. that the leaking has got to stop. It's
1: exactly what I would suggest, it's what <laughs> I have suggested in my columns, uh, in my tweets, whatever. However, I can get the message across. They need to they the, the they need to understand the public service is effectively at war with them. The left just runs on the back of the media and the bureaucracy. Yeah, that is the that is the the left wing, as it were. Yeah. The media, the bureaucracy—that's all they've got. If you can really take an axe to either of those, or both of them, preferably, uh, you effectively destroy the power of the left, probably for good. Uh, yeah. And. That has been shown to be the case in in some other countries recently, around the world, and we'll get into geopolitics later, I guess. But
0: yeah, well, it's that it is they're in a grimmer worm tongue moment. You know, he's got the king's ear, he's got him under his spell, and, and that's the bureaucracy. That's I guess the media is out the front doing the propagandising, um, and I think also Luxon is he's trying to play the middle. That's always been his weakness. Trying to play the middle. That's the worst thing you can do, I think, in politics. Is um, try and play and placate everybody. It, it, it never works. It just never he's ever a, works.
1: He's a manager. He's a, he worked as a CEO. He's the king of the managerial class. Yeah, the king of managerialism. He just wants to manage. Yeah, he, and uh, we're we're slowly the, the entire world is moving away from this uh, system of managerialism that's uh, yeah. just rotting the entire West at its foundations and. He is the ultimate manager. So either he's going to have to move away from that and, like you said, become a statesman. He's going to have to seize the day or uh, he he will get himself into more and more problems as the years go on.
0: Yeah, well, that's right, isn't it? You've either got to be, uh, what, uh, a Roman hem- emperor who goes down in history for, for really changing the game up, breaking things open, or you're going to be the last one who sat on the throne before it all collapsed. And that's yeah. not a good place to be in <laughs>
1: I saw an interesting point that somebody made uh, saying that the Roman emperors we remember from history would not necessarily have been the popular ones. <laughs> 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 so that's what, it, uh, that's what it sometimes comes down to.
0: That's a, that's a great point. All righty, folks. So that is the uh, end of part one of our conversation. If you're listening in on Friday, the Friday freebie. We are about to carry on our conversation, though, for our patrons only on Monday we will be having part two of this conversation and our two big topics that we're going to be focusing on are Tucker Carlson talking to Putin and the President Biden classified document case, and maybe a few other things as well, if we get time. So part two of that conversation available exclusively to our patrons at patreon.com forward slash left foot media. The link is in today's show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. And Diwa, I guess I should give you the opportunity to say goodbye to our Friday freebie listeners. Let them know, where can they follow you? How do they follow your work?
1: The main places where I post on an almost daily frequency would be my Twitter account. Uh, I refuse to call it X. (laughs) It's always going to remain Twitter to me. So twitter.com slash can Or you can search through uh, for my name if you can... Remember how to spell Dewey DeBoer, You can also look, look for that. And then Telegram is my other platform that I use quite a bit. So you can also look for Dewey DeBoer on Telegram. So just at Dewey DeBoer and you'll find me. Uh, and we've got a, a Telegram chat as well if you want to, to talk, you know, bring up bring up issues or get my thoughts on specific things. Uh, I used to be quite active on Facebook, but don't bother with that anymore. So those are your two choices. And also got Right Minds NZ, which is where uh, most of my Uh, long-form blog posts end up. Uh, I am a columnist for the BFD and their insight program, which is for their paid subscribers. So if you want to read my my paid work, it's every Saturday morning on the BFD. Uh, Those do get archived weeks later on on Right Minds NZ. Uh, And of course, I'm a host for Reality Check Radio as well. If you're listening to this on Friday, I will just have had my first show in the morning. Uh, They will run from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Fridays. it's called The Dialogue with Diwa De Boer, and we explore uh, politics, power, and culture. And there's a lot of classical music, a lot of history, a lot of interesting guests who will talk about forbidden subjects.
0: Well, there you go, folks. If you want to get upskilled and upskilled, then definitely make sure you tune in. If you're listening on Friday morning and it's early enough, get in there and have a listen on Reality Check Radio. If not, I'm sure, uh, Diwa that it will be, um, it'll be available, won't it, as a podcast downloadable at some point
1: that's right so through the app you can get the uh, full show playback you can get the specific interviews so one of the interviews i did this morning was with william mcgimsey and he's a public policy professional and uh yeah so that is going to be a really great interview and I do hope that uh, you go back and listen to it uh, if you get the chance.
0: Diva, just to remind our listeners too, uh, on the Friday Freebie one last time, we will be having this conversation once a month. We'll be tracking the government. We'll be talking about politics, local and abroad. And uh, part two will always be on Monday morning for patrons only. Alrighty, folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll sign off now. Our patrons, you hang around until Monday. We'll see you soon. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Dispatches with Diwa. If you don't want to miss out on part two of our conversation, which is available exclusively to our patrons only, then make sure you go to patreon.com forward slash media and sign up to become a $5 monthly patron. The link is in today's show notes. Thanks once again for tuning in. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. And I'll see you next time on The Dispatches.